This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. And we get the back view of him, and I mean, it's just a mega. 52 yards is a long shot. Uh, Magnum P.I., is what yeah. we named him. No idea. Just a magnum. Yeah, just a magnum. Come on, Cam Ashi. We, we said probably 150, mid 150. Yeah. Same Doe from the morning come out with that nine pointer. Here, here steps out this 90 inch eight pointer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ah. I'm like, okay, well, there's still a buck back there, grunting. Yeah. And then out steps like another 90 inch eight yeah. pointer. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm like, deer, right there. Yeah, like And he's 30 already yards. 30 yards. Yeah. He he was literally five yards from the base of the tree. Could have been had a buck down at 140 in the afternoon, back there deep on public. Three does come out pretty early. It was like 245, 24 yard shot, sent the combat veteran. And I tell you what, man, dude, it just smoked. We always get so jacked up when the other person kills. It's just almost like we got it done. Yeah. And when you killed that doe, I was like, hell yeah, man. And we come down here to Missouri. My ass called me one more time. I'm like, is it a good buck? And he goes, yeah, real good, solid buck. I'm like, all right, boom. <laughs> and the deer just drops for sure. Super special to me. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. This is the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, still coming at you on a Wednesday, hopefully on Prime Rib Day, um, coming in your ear holes all the way from Oklahoma, 
Well, he's actually from Arizona yeah. talking about <laughs> Oklahoma um, on this week's episode. We got Brian Curtis on from Territory Films and Territory um, Outfitting. Super solid guy. Found him online. Really enjoyed his films. Check him out on YouTube at Territory Films. Um, some self-filming from mountain lions to buffalo to bear to um, the tamrocks of <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> so super cool. Um, bow hunting, rifle hunting. Just tells a good story. Breaks it down for you. Really enjoyed it. Um, let's get into the people that make this possible. We'll get into the show. We'll start out with the VIP I've been shooting the combat veteran into some foam here recently. She's flying true. I don't I was gonna maybe potentially take it fifth season in Turkey, but I don't think I just don't have the draw the need to. Yeah. Like this after this weekend, I'm like raw dogging, no blind. Oh yeah, dude. It's filming. <laughs> There's just no way to get a drill ball and, and, and a then, bow yeah, drawn throw back. A bow throw a bow on top of it absolutely not <laughs> i was gonna do it i feel good i was shooting out 60 a while back i was feeling real confident but i'm not i'm, I'm just gonna take the gun yeah if we were going to nebraska i'd feel confident unless i doing crush, it there. i just crush one real easy third season that yeah. i might like just wing just it dumb just, just dumb but i got you know but more than likely that's not gonna happen so <laughs> right i'm just saying shotgun but you got the vip uh, veteran broadhead shout out yeah this week's vip veteran broadhead shout out was sent in by jonathan ward uh, he is going to nominate his great-grandfather, Robert Ward, who fought in the Pacific during World War II. Uh, jo- so, Jonathan, we appreciate you uh, sending that in to us, and uh, we appreciate your great-grandfather for signing up. And I feel like back then, like, a lot of people just were in the military, you know? Like, that yeah. was just something, like, everybody did. So, um, once again, we appreciate that, and uh, we're still here today fighting the fight. Yeah, big shout-out to your grandpa for putting the time in. We appreciate that. Um, and check out his show. Mossy Creek Outdoors. Mossy Creek Outdoors. He's doing a kind of some live podcast and promoting his brand. So if you got went looking for some more content, check him out. Um, get into ECW calls, all your custom call needs. Um, we are breaking out the slate this weekend, hitting some real soft purrs. Yes, and call, that, call. that hen came in. perfect. That worked hen perfect. came right in. So that slate for the purr is just... You can do it with a mouth call, but it's hard to get a quiet purr with a mouth call. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you need some air mm-hmm. force, but that slate, man, is just sliding. So, um, Exodus Trail Cameras. We're going to start something this week with the Trail Cam Tip of the Week brought to you by Exodus Trail Cams. And uh, when we don't have a sale going on for Exodus or something that we want to promote, we're going to bring you this tip um, every week. And this week's tip is if you have trail cameras that you've pulled from the woods and they're sitting on the counter, they're sitting on the gun case, uh, wherever they're sitting, get them out and pull them batteries out. This is the time of year that those contacts will corrode from those batteries if there's any moisture in them. Um, If they're out in the garage getting condensation, if you get those batteries out, it's going to make that camera last longer and uh, you won't have the troubles of next year you put batteries in and it don't work. So, but with the Exodus's five-year BS, no BS warranty, um, it's something that you don't have to worry about, but you're still going to be down a camera until they get it replaced or fixed. So that's something to think about. Get those batteries out and uh, you'll be in a lot better shape. Next level deer supplements. Um, As you guys heard on the the last podcast, we'll be not going out there to to kill Miriam this year Um, with everything going on. Um, we're not able to go. They shut down the non-residents, but just a huge shout out to them um, and their brand for just being solid dudes and and still inviting us out and uh, 
they're they're already planning next year to to come out there. So just a big shout out to them. Congratulations to Drake, the Drake Scott's son. He's out there dropping the hammer, showing us up. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Nate, I don't even know if Nate's picked up the gun yet. I know but I, Scott's I, been out. So uh, Nate, get out there and try to kill a bird, man. Yeah. All right, At least and, we know Scott can get somebody on a bird. Yeah. So oh, I yeah, like yeah, that. I, can, I yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and last but not least, Ingram's Outdoor Obsession. All your taxidermy needs for our local guys. He's crushing out the bucks. He's also crushing the film. Um, he went on a turkey hunt with his daughter and another guy and filmed it for him. First time out, um, he came by. We showed him a little bit on the camera, not a bunch, and he crushed it. Did an excellent job. Um, and gave that guy a really cool edited short film. Um, he said that guy was almost in tears just because really? it's something you awesome. know, that he's not used to. See, so, that right there just makes it all worth yeah, it. it makes all it the all worth it. Banging the shit around in the morning and yeah. everything, you know, it just makes it worth it when you get to see somebody like your grandma and grandpa yeah. watching that video. Like, that was totally worth, yeah, super, worth everything. Super awesome. So, shout out to him trying to get in the filming gang. It's a tough start, but once you get into it, you're figured out. If we can do it, anybody can, like we always say. <laughs> All right, let's get into the show. All right, we got Brian Curtis on the line from Territory and Territory Films and Outfitting. How you doing today, man? Doing good. How you guys doing? Doing good. This is an early podcast of what we're used to, so we should be fresh <laughs> right after work. We line it up. You're going to be uh, rolling off the Richter right here on Wednesday, so it's just a couple days early. So uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. You bet. I appreciate you guys having me and appreciate you taking time to look at the films and look through some of the peril that we've got going yeah, I uh, I was like I said, I was watching that film about three thirty four in the morning, um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Self film, uh, good voiceover, good storytelling. Really like how you broke down the maps and figured out the extra time that you had w when they were daylighting. Um, the natural ground blind. It was just super cool for me. We're from the Midwest, something that we're not used to. You did a really good job um, breaking it down. So let's just start off with where they can find you and uh what what film am i we're going to talk about sure you bet so we've got a couple of different websites one's the uh, territory outfitter which we do a little bit of big game uh hunting elk black bears lions and uh, mule deer here out in arizona and then the other website is territoryfilm.com and that's where all the short films and the apparel uh, line we've got a variety of hats and shirts and t-shirts and hoodies all that kind of stuff so we've got two separate uh websites and things for people to look at but one one single brand nice yeah i really i dig the apparel man the the bear skull and the mountain lion pretty cool we we got a buddy that's coming on here an episode after you to talk about my mountain lions or we'd be talking about your mountain lion because that's something that he just went out and did he got drew in nebraska so uh yeah pretty pretty awesome me and homie are pretty excited to hear the story firsthand but uh we're gonna talk whitetail with you that's something that we know fairly well we, we think probably not though <laughs> but we know absolutely <laughs> nothing about oklahoma whitetail so well not many people do but there's been a lot of uh publicity on a, a big one that a young boy killed uh this year downstate from where i hunt uh where i hunt on our family ranch in the oklahoma panhandle near a town called Guyman. So the state of Oklahoma is almost uh, divided in half. The eastern half's kind of got trees and mountains, and the western half is your more open plains, farmland, and tons of wind all the time. <laughs> yeah, your so uh, your rifle season hunt, it seemed like it was windy the whole time, but 
Um, super cool how you can find those deer out there. It just blows me away. Um, it's kind of like what you turkey hunted in, but no trees, like mm. the same rolling hills, but just no trees. And it's crazy that there's that many deer out there. I don't even know what they eat, man. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, it's almost like antelope hunting really. Cause they, they rely heavily on their eyesight cause they can just see forever. But what you catch a lot of them out in that flat rolling hill country coming off of, you know, surrounding wheat fields or corn fields, that kind of thing. And they come into those flat areas and the breaks to bed into yuccas and, you know, different draw areas where they've got vantage points for a visual um, of the whole area. Yeah, so I, let's, the, I watched uh, the grounded one. That was my favorite whitetail episode you had. Um, yeah. I just love the on-the-ground bow and the natural blind. So you were in yucca there too, correct? No, so the um, the ground the grounded film took place in the river bottom where – We've got a lot of tamarack trees. Tamarack, um, that's what it was. Tamaracks, yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, so what is a tamarack for the listeners and for me? Because I, I watched the film, but <laughs> just go ahead and describe it. Sure. Uh, well, tamaracks are kind of a glorified tree bush. They'll get 10 or 15 feet tall. Um, they're hell on your water source. They suck all the groundwater up. So the river bottom has been dry for, oh, I don't know, probably at least 20 years. I remember some water in it on occasion when I was younger, but. Uh, they, they really pull from but They're like a variety of big sticks that just kind of come up. They're really dense. Uh, and the deer really take cover in them because once you get underneath them, they kind of branch up like the shape of a yucca. Um, but, you know, obviously a lot taller. But the deer will go into the tamaracks and bed. And when they're laying on the ground, you can see a lot of movement. But you can't see if you're four feet up into the, uh, you know, uh, off the ground down into it really so it takes a lot of a lot of time and effort because you're hunting a bedding ground right so you've got to be really really cautious and careful because if you start bumping the deer out of their beds uh, you're going to be hard pressed to have deer yeah so just for the guys in the midwest to me it looks like a skinny hedge tree so the limbs grow like crazy all different directions no not like a oak or walnut where it grows up. There's a few limbs that come out. It's uh, more of a bush than a tree. So I, for the Midwest guys, imagine a timber full of short, skinny hedge timber, <laughs> which would be incredibly hard to hunt. Me and homie would have no idea what to do in that. You know what I mean? You can't get a stand in. Um, I'm sure the – because it's still kind of – I mean, the scent game there would be completely changed. But uh, let's just go ahead and break down – the hunt on grounded did you have a name for that buck you know I, I i didn't have a name for him and i've just never really ever named deer um maybe because it becomes a little too personal i don't know um but i more try to just keep them keep them as a buck and and what their points are is how i identify them mostly nice but yeah. he's a he's a he was a cool buck uh like i mentioned in the film you know that i noticed him he'd just shown up um, there was other deer that I was chasing out in the flats that would sometime visit the river bottoms, but nothing consistently stayed through this Tamarack area. And he really did, but he, I'd noticed him a couple of years before I decided to hunt it um, because they come right out of the river, river bottoms of this Tamarack bedding area into the flats. And if you're going to archery hunt in that flat country, I mean, you've got to be right place, right time with a lot of luck on your side. So, uh, 
and a lot of them, like most deer, don't come out of the beds or the thicker cover till dark, and they're usually in there before dark. So when I'd found this deer on my trail cameras, I thought, well, he's got a lot of potential to be something pretty cool. You know, with the Oklahoma deer, you're going to get a lot of typical eights, some tens. Every now and then you get something kind of funky. Um, two years ago, we had a 22-point non-typical uh, double main beam buck that I didn't get killed because I didn't take the shot. wasn't comfortable with it, but, you know. Whether yeah, I've seen the picture of that one. I th- you had a trail cam video of it, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that was an absolute stud. That was a cool-looking <laughs> buck. I was like, man, yeah. that's heavy tight points everywhere yeah he was a cool buck and uh i was actually had him at about 110 yards uh but unfortunately i was up on a a ridge uh with my back turned to him trying to gather my stuff up to start walking around and he come walking by looking at me wondering what this crazy person's doing up here so one of those classic cases of trying to don't film a bunch of things, gather up camera equipment, and the last thing you think about is your gun sitting there pointed the opposite direction, and so are you. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of the trials and tribulations. But this eight point, he I'd seen him on on a camera. He'd he'd showed up actually after after the season, and so you'll get deer that kind of come through and cruise after the rut, looking for a last hot doe, or uh, you know, trying to find some food, that kind of thing, or maybe get pushed out of where they're where they're used to staying and so he ended up staying there but he was just way too young but had good good frame and i liked his attitude from what i seen on the um trail cameras and my trail cameras i run all video on on them i don't run the photos a little bit more time management for sd cards and batteries but you gain a lot more information through video than you do just one quick fit you know picture so i was able to study him uh over the course of the next year and started kind of putting it together where he, he typically hung out kind of what he, what he did, what he liked. Um, and then last year he was, he was a pretty good buck, but I wasn't, I wasn't prepared on my end to hunt him. Uh, Cause I hadn't studied uh, or felt like I had enough information yet to be able to get into where he beds set up and not just you know screw up the whole bedding area for all the deer so i'd spent another another year you know really strictly planning his movements um documenting everything through the trail cameras i'd see him on you know through the you know glassing from a ways away every now and then i really learned where he would be but you know again they're deer this year we had really early rut i mean by the time the rifle season and the rifle season was a week late and uh later than usual and that rut was done by the time the rifle season started so these deer were hungry they were moving quite a bit um you know back and forth through the food so what i was able to do over the summer last year was you know kind of i built i ended up building three different ground blinds where he where he was kind of primarily hanging out uh based on the cameras and i think on the in the film i documented the number of sightings that i had there you know, in the film, I didn't uh, really get into the more specifics of uh, the exact times. But, um, you know, by hunting that bedding ground, I was able to pick up about another 38 minutes or so of morning movement of deer and another 47 minutes earlier every day of the deer moving in the evenings. So on a five day hunt, I picked up seven and a half hours of prime hunting just by being into the into the thicker cover where they're bedding. 
and what they've done, they kind of get up and they'll just mill around and in that area. And then, you know, that kind of typical half hour before dark or right at dark, they tend to head out into the flatter country. But with these trail cameras, I'd had him kind of pinned down to a, a glorified eight minute window based on the average of the last six months of when he would come through and which direction he would head. Um, we never knew exactly where he bed, but I knew the path that he was taking. It could have been 40 yards or it could have been, you know, 400 yards from where I had this blind, but I knew he was, you know, constantly coming through this, um, this certain path through that time period. But, uh, so I tried to get out there, you know, everything in your mind, you think it's going to be great. I'm going to show up before the rifle season, hunt a week, get a deer killed, go right into the rifle season, hunt the flat country and try to get another buck down. But, you know, that didn't work. So I spent a, spent a week there hunting and I actually missed this deer, uh, the day before rifle season started at, uh, 20 yards, embarrassingly enough, uh, <laughs> sometimes when, when this ground blind in that thick tamarack, you don't see them coming in. You don't get that preparation time. So they're just on you all of a sudden. And that's what he did. He'd stepped right around the tamarack and, you know, trying to self film. I'm fumbling around with the camera and, uh, trying to get a bow drawn. And, uh, one of the mistakes I made with this blind, I didn't pay attention after I built it in the summer. When I got back in it this fall, uh, I didn't pay attention to how the, the limbs had progressed over the top of, uh, of the, you know, the area where you sit. So when I went to draw my bow, you know, it got up into the limbs and, uh, you know, just kind of one of those amateur mistakes that you're just not thinking about. So he didn't seem to spook too bad. So I hunted a few days of the rifle season and ended up having to hunt him another five days, uh, on, on that same blind where he ended up coming back through and, uh, one of the, you know, one of those deals that you see in the film, uh, batteries are kind of important if you're going to sell film. So, uh, the cameras ran out a little bit of juice and didn't quite capture the shot on film, but you know, it, at the end of the day with the filming that to me, there's more importance to a film than capturing the kill shot. I'm, I'm big proponent on the story of what the hunt is. You know, every hunt's different. Every hunt unfolds differently. Um, and, you know, it's kind of what you make of the hunt. So the story for me is with within the films is kind of the important part, um, really, as opposed to what the industry standard is, you know, capturing the, the deer, the, the kill shot. Yeah, we can, we're kind of the same way. That's why I think I enjoyed it because you did a very good job explaining why you're in there. Um we, we just started running our trail cameras on video mode. That was homie's idea. So props to him. Uh, that yeah. just shows so much more. And the last breath guys kind of motivated us a little bit to, to do it. It just shows you so much more of what they're doing. Um, I wish we had enough money and batteries to run them all on video just because yeah. it just shows you so much <laughs> more. We run so many cameras though. It just be tough to keep batteries in them. It does wear the batteries down a lot quicker, but we, we'd have deer come through that'd be on a full run, and then we'd just have deer come through that you're just browsing, and it's the run. Right. You're like, what the heck is this deer doing? Just browsing, walking around, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Then, then he's back in 15 minutes going the opposite direction, you know, and if you got a trail camera, you just got a picture 
And if I got a buck going one way and then the other, I'm like, oh, he's looking for does. He's got to be looking for does. In actuality, he was just eating, just walking around eating, and you would have never yeah. – you don't know without video. So, um, But you did right, a very yeah, good you, job breaking it down, showing the extra time you had, showing your routes that the deer were taking and where you had set up. Um, I enjoyed it, and I like that you, you added the little – battery dying you know on the film i'm like oh it's coming it's coming in like seconds before the shot man it's it's out yeah. so i'm like god that's terrible like the deer's coming in standing there you're like oh here it is D dead and i'm like that's something that would happen to us <laughs> yeah you know and you're out there going well it could be worse i could have missed him twice you know but um <clears throat> yeah that uh that's a very important lesson uh, even when you think that you've got enough battery left in that camera still put it on the charger every night because I, I was thinking that I had plenty, you know, and I didn't really film a bunch that day. Um, but I only had, uh, maybe a minute <laughs> of battery, you know, and when you let them set in a cold truck too overnight, that doesn't help out either. So. Oh yeah. We were turkey hunting this weekend and I had told him, I said, I'm down to two bars and then it's blinking red, like a minute and a half <laughs> later. I'm like, and now I got to change batteries in the camera with turkeys at 70 yards strutting, you know what I mean? So it's just never fun. And, I had that happen on the buck that homie shot this year. He came in on me, going to film him. Literally, right when I turned it on, dead. You're like, this thing was good to go, but that cold weather does. Um, the lithiums seem to hold up a little better. We have the lithiums, which are expensive, and then we have some cheaper right. cheaper batteries. <clears throat> Those are, they're still lithiums, aren't they, though? Uh, no, I don't no, think so. No, they're not? Okay. Yeah, they just don't seem to hold up. as Just like cameras in a, you know, in a trail camera seem to hold up a little better, but... Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome story. You miss him the first time, second time comes around, you get it done, but the camera dies, but still an awesome buck. It's crazy that he broke every tine off that one side or was short. That Was he just short tines that side, or did he bust them all off? No, he, he was about as uniform as you could get the last two years, and so he broke all three of those off, plus his brow tine fighting. Yeah, I um, thought it looked, they all looked like they were broke off. I was blown away. Like It looked like they were pretty evenly broke, too. It was insane. So, yeah, and what's crazy that you know these deer down there, and I'm sure probably everywhere, but when they break off, they don't keep them real jagged and sharp. They start rubbing real hard, and they every deer that I've killed um, in Oklahoma, even my brother-in-law and the deer that they've killed, anytime they've got a broken antler, it's always rounded off. They go rub pretty hard on it, or maybe they like to feel how that sharp point, you know, jagged point scrapes on that bark. Yeah. But for some reason, they've always been rounded. They really he, feel like they're tearing it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, getting aggressive and cutting deep with it, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, he was, you know, he was a cool buck. And like I'd mentioned, you know, I mean, a lot of people are, I'm not really a antler hunter, but I want to hunt mature animals, you know, so it is what it is. And, you know, I knew that he was broke before I started hunting him. But like I'd mentioned in the film, you know, I was, I was there to hunt that deer, not his horns. Yeah, because you put so much time into their mind and their pattern, and you know, so it becomes kind of a chess game and a mental game, you know, with the strategy uh, for hunting that specific buck. So he, if he had broke both of his antlers completely off, I might not have shot him. But <laughs> you know, it's just kind of that um, that that challenge of of figuring out, you know, mind against mind almost. Um, which, which is kind of one of the things that I, I thrive and, and like the best, especially hunting whitetails. Yeah. We had a episode. What episode was it where he shed, you know, the number where uh, he shed half the rack? Oh, um, yeah. Um, but I can't remember the number, but anyways, we had an episode where the guy was 
chasing a target buck, absolute giant, uh, high 190s. Yep. And he shed one side, and he still shot him. And then he was able to find the other shed. But, I mean, that just that's just like, man, I've been chasing this deer so long. But I, me and homie were talking like, man, I don't I don't know if I, you could – what if he dropped it on the neighbors or, you know, it would be hard to shoot him. I don't know if I could or not. I'd have to be in the moment and be like, yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know? yeah. but then you'd be out yeah. there with everybody and your brother, be like 20 people out there shed hunting this 30-acre patch timber. I mean, that's what they did. Yeah. So, well, I mean, but you know, you, again, back to the story, right? The story that that individual might have had with that buck, but you know, 190s, he was 190. I'm sure he's got trail cameras and stuff, and he happened to shed it. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate luck, but you know, you're still you're still chasing that deer. Yeah, for sure. I can't remember if he missed <clears throat> earlier, if he missed the year before, or if he missed earlier in the year. But uh, the deer was at like 20 yards, and he hit a limb and. Oh yeah, it was the year before because yeah. in the next year is that that limb was gone. Yeah, he already he had missed it the year before, so he had a lot of history with this deer, and it's a that's an epic story. Yeah, that was one of the coolest stories. Yeah. Deer died in a creek and floated down, and oh, just a he got lucky, a lot of luck on the recovery, but uh, you, you got to have that luck for sure. But uh, you know, I mean, there's something that's kind of magical, really, when you develop that, you know, that not really relationship, but that. Uh, obsessive uh need to kind of learn this deer you know when you're hunting one specific animal as opposed to just hunting an entire species itself it's a lot more of an intimate type hunt i think yeah we always say that too is where i killed missouri and i was just like it doesn't feel as good because you go down there out of state you don't have the history with the buck you know you don't have the trail cam his you know history and years of chasing them and <laughs> Yeah, you you got a kill, you got a nice buck down, but you're just like ah, just saying it's good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You get a good deer, and you know, like you said, if you're gonna go out of state and hunt, you know, you're you're chasing a species, depending on the kind of time that you've got to put in. Which, you know, time's pretty valuable and limited for everybody, especially if you're traveling long distance to go hunting. You can only do so much, so you don't necessarily get that kind of. Uh, you know, close encounter in the, in the planning with, with a hunt like that. But still those kind of hunts are great too, because you, you develop something at some point during that hunt with a certain buck or bull or, you know, whatever you're chasing, you'll see them at late, you know, first light or last light. And then you start hanging out in that area and you start to chase and hunt one animal that you don't have a history with other than just the short learn, you know, the short term uh, duration of the hunt that you've got. Yeah, that's something Cody and I um, had a couple years ago, and I don't know if you got a buddy or somebody that you always talk to or bounce ideas off of, no matter how crazy they seem. You're like, ah, I wonder what he thinks about this. But, um, you know, Cody and I have talked many, many hours on the phone about a specific deer and, you know, what we think they're doing. And then when you do finally get it done, like when we were sitting there, when Freeze was down, like, we're like, this is the feeling that we want to have, you know, it might not be every year, but you know, when it does happen, like you have to really soak it in. That's something we're big on is really soaking in that moment. And, you know, just looking back and reflecting on the story and the build up and just how it all come together. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the, the mental part of the hunt, you know, I think is every bit as demanding as the physical part of a lot of hunts. Cause it, you know, trying to stay out of your head, especially after you've missed the deer that you've been hunting to try to get, 
you know, half-assed positive to think that, no, I still got a chance as opposed to just kind of quit. But yeah, that developing a mental, a mental game of the hunt is, is definitely something that once you get it, you know, you experience it, you kind of tend to try to thrive to, to achieve it more often. Yeah. I mean, say just even when you go on like rutcation and, you know, you're just hunting hard every day, all day, like, I mean, it's grueling, you know, it's out there being in the cold weather and the cold, you know, like we do here in the Midwest, but to be out there and, and just have a positive mindset is something that I think gets overlooked and is something that I've really focused on the last three, four years is just having a positive mindset, you know, just knowing that all it takes is 10 seconds and it can be the, you could have the worst year of hunting of your life. And then 10 seconds later, that buck you've been chasing for three years comes by. And now you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. It's going to be the greatest year you had. Right. Absolutely. You know, and he, like we talked about that he was kind of broken off and stuff. He wasn't the best horned buck, uh, you know, on the cameras or even that I had seen, um, down there. Um, there's a couple of 10 points that are going to be some smokers next year. Um, which I'd have shot him, you know, (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Yeah. I mean, you you feel like you would, but you feel like you cheated yourself too. If you come there to do something. Yeah. But it it can backfire, right? You can never have seen that eight point and passed up to 10 point and there you are with nothing. So is Oklahoma a two buck state or it is. Yes. Actually between, you know, with, with archery and then you can harvest one with a muzzleloader and then one with a rifle as well. Nice. Yeah, I've had two buck state, man. I would living in a one buck state would be devastating. Yeah. It would completely change yeah. the way I hunt and everything. You'd have to be. I'm just looking for opportunity when I go out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the first buck is always opportunity. I'm chasing a certain one. I'm going to be in his area. But if another one comes by, I mean, on the first one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the, then the second one, I'm always like, it's this one or nothing. And then I pass deer that are bigger than the one that I shot. <laughs> I'm like, man, if I'd have just right. waited, but. That's happened to me multiple years. You're just like, well, not doing it. But the only yeah. year I was like, I'm not killing anything but one is when I shot freeze. You know what I mean? I'm passing deer, but here's what it is. It, it worked out. But if I would have went that whole year and passed like that real solid eight and everything, I'd have been like, man, I'm a dumbass. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so One thing that is yeah, cool no, that you were talking about, Brian, is, you know, it's not, you didn't shoot or, you know, target the, the biggest antlered animal, but it was just the one that you kind of gravitated towards and you had the, the history with and all the time trying to figure out. Yeah. And this is, um, so I've, you know, this, again, this is back home on our ranch, you know, private land, which is a little bit different strategy of than hunting public, right? If you find something good on public, you, you better get it done or the next guy will. But, uh, so this is the third, over the course of the last seven years, I believe, I've picked out three bucks to try to hunt. One buck <clears throat> was a tall nine point in the flat in the flat country um, that had, I don't know, his brow times were probably every bit of eight to 12 inches. Just a good, mature looking, awesome buck. And I had him pegged coming down these draws. One particular draw, he would come through every fourth day between 515 and 530, every, every fourth day. And so I went in there to try to get him killed and ran into a herd of mule deer out of the middle of nowhere and couldn't get there. So sure enough, he walked through it. But I, I chased that buck for three years and never got it done. And then uh, after I found him when he was a seven point during the rifle season, just an old warrior. And I just decided, you know, you, you beat me. 
for these last few years, I'm just going to go ahead and say that you won. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, so you just kind of give him the respect, right? That's pretty cool. And, yeah. Uh, but then the year after he was a seven, his offspring, because again, everything's typical is eights and tens out there. Uh, it, you get an inline nine and that's kind of a, a genetic that stands out to you. And so the year after he was a seven in that flat country, I did. Um, and I, he's the buck that I shot in that uh, Flatlands film. Yeah. That I did. He's an offspring of that buck that I had nice. been chasing the three years before. Yeah, so that's such a, a cool hunt, man. To be able to see him way out like that and maneuver through the draws on them, you know what I mean? And they're just out there, no timber. Just like, yeah. gosh, it's just insane to me, you know what I mean? But that's going to be the new trend. It was saddle hunting. Now, <laughs> now it's trying to traditional bow. In two years, it's going to be like, all right, I'm only chasing this deer two years. If I don't kill him, I'm going to let him pass because he beat me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm calling right. it now. <laughs> two or three years, well, this is going to be a trend. Yeah. People should be smarter than me. You should probably I know, yeah. That that's you know, that's so. what I'm saying. Like, I, It takes me five, six years to kill some of these deer. I'm just not yeah. – I just got to get lucky is what I got to do. I just, yeah. just got to – me and homie were talking the other day. If you want to get close to them, <laughs> we got you, man. If, but if you want to get it done, uh, it's know, iffy. It's iffy. But if you want to, you, we'll be all over them. You'll see turkey and deer that we'll be all over them, but just can't fit, seal the deal. I think that's just the, you know, the knowledge and the age. Uh, you know, the longer you're hunting, you find tips and tricks to figure it out. But we're always in the in the dice. We got like a 50 yard buffer on us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just need we just need that much more. You know, we just need 50 yards. That's all we need. Yeah. You know, we're always yeah. within. You know, we're always within 80 yards of everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it makes for good footage. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we could get them on film all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. uh <laughs> But actually sealing the deal and getting it done, unless I got a gun in my hand, I'm struggling the last what two years. I haven't killed. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, two, right? Two, yeah, yeah. Two I haven't killed gun. two years with a bow. Yeah. Brutal. Well, it been, uh, you know, again back on our ranch, and I I took a little time off to get serious about golf or thought I wanted to be, so I didn't hunt necessarily every season. But this buck that I killed this year with my rifle in that flat country was the first whitetail I killed in 23 years. Wow. That's yeah, nuts. so it, or I'm sorry, that one with the bow, the inline nine was the first one, but the first one with the rifle in 23 years that was this year. Wow, they were out there hunting antelope and elk and bison and all kinds of other stuff. It's take, it's probably, it's, it's for you, it's probably hard to pick what to hunt. You got so much <laughs> stuff around that's you know reasonably close. You're like, ah, what do I want to do this year? Do I want to be serious about elk? Do I want to be serious about mountain lion? Like, yeah. <laughs> Again, I wish I was that smart, but unfortunately, if it if, if there's an opportunity to hunt it, I'm probably willing to try. Yeah, that's that's so that's it, like it, us. We're so focused on whitetail. I think if we tried to do anything else, it would. We don't have enough vacation time for one, but for two, right. we'd, it'd be like, I can't. People are always we, like, "Why don't you travel out of state?" I'm like, "I can't kill them in the state I'm at." So <laughs> right. we can barely well, get ready without hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Arizona, we can't even get drawn as residents to hunt our own state. You know, it's so competitive out here with the draw system for elk and mule deer. So that is insane, man. I mean, antelope is for residents. I mean, you're looking at double-digit points just to even sniff a tag. I mean, so wow. you've got to go out of state out here. Wow, that's if insane. you want to hunt. We do get archery deer over the counter tags, um, which is nice because you're hunting both the mule deer and the coos during the rut. But hunting animals during the rut with a bow. I think is, well, it, it, 
I think it's tougher. Right? Yeah, if, you, if they're not on a pattern and you're not in a dead set pinch point, which we're out there, I don't even yeah. know if you got pinch points like we got. <laughs> Definitely not like we got. You know, what I mean, if you're, yeah. there's been a lot of times that even if you are bow hunting, the buck doesn't stop or goes by too fast, anyways, that you don't even get the shot. Like this year, absolute legend, 55 yards chasing does. You ain't pulling them off that doe for anything. <laughs> And you're not going to oh. shoot at a buck that's darting around, you know, let alone at 55 yards. So if that had right. been early October, he'd probably just been browsing, walking around. You might have been able to take a 50-yard shot, you know what I mean? But right, he's bumping off other bucks, running around, chasing does. It's just it's a different ball game. You see more deer in the rut, but they're they're not as calm and cool, you know, as they no. are. So they're a little harder to get within <clears throat> bow range, but. And what I found out a lot about these deer in Oklahoma, I mean, it's probably like whitetail um, everywhere. I, I have not really hunted whitetail anywhere else, but they, uh, those bucks are hungry after that rut. And they, I, I saw bucks coming in just right after the rut running does off of feed and stuff like that. So they, you know, that, that makes kind of a, a, a smart choice on how to hunt that, you know, they're going to be hungry. So yeah. water hole, water holes are always a given, but, as the time goes on, they're either going to hit it mid afternoon or out in the dark when you're probably not there. So yeah, that's that something feed, that we they, never hunt around here, man. There's just too much water. I, yeah. I was just going to ask that. Right. Like, is, is that, uh, so that's a pretty good, uh, yeah, obviously early season or, you know, all throughout the season spot. Uh, hunting water. Yeah. It's a good all season spot. That's but, cool, you man. know, even during the rut, because those, you know, sometimes this Oklahoma hunt in, mid to late november you may have some 80 degree days out there you know high 70s mid 70s and if those bucks are on a doe those does are going to go get water and those bucks are going to follow right in so if you're hunting water during those hot days um everything's a lot calmer you know they're it's hot those does aren't really you know the bucks aren't really interested in how those girls are smelling so they're just kind of falling along they know it's going to be close but they'll come in, let the does will drink. Um, same thing with uh, like elk, you know, they, they'll do the same. Um, but everything's a lot calmer. So if you can hunt that water, find a good water spot on a hot day, uh, that's that's a pretty successful uh, opportunity there. Yeah, I ran a trail camera on a creek crossing and it always has water. And I think you and I were down there and you asked me, you were like, did you ever get any pictures of a deer taking a drink of water? And I had one buck uh, come through after a doe. And then he stopped and got a drink. So I don't know if that doe just wasn't ready or whatever. But um, just like Cody said, that's not something we get to hunt. Hunt, you know, as a tactic is the, a water source. Like it's always kind of in our mind. Like you know it's there, but, it's, but you're like, yeah. I'm not going to kill on that. There's no. no. There's no way. But. And um, I think it was when the Last Breath Hunt cast when mm-hmm. they had Chase on. Uh, they were talking about how much brows gives the deer water it's like 80 percent of the water they need is they just get from their brows yeah i'm like no wonder nobody's drinking yeah well you guys are hunting a lot different country than the oh yeah for sure handle so yeah you water's probably a little more scarce down there it didn't look like there's anything green or even remotely green (laughs) from your videos you know what i mean there's just yeah you know nothing it's that that pasture land it gets that real pretty yellow and gold and uh, some reds in it, but those deer are going to cattle tanks to drink. I mean, that's, it's crazy. that's pretty much it. That's cool so, though. I'm sure most of it's nocturnal, but still pretty, pretty cool. Be a good yep. place to run a trail cam, get some inventory on, I guess. 
Oh yeah, you can get a lot on there, and they they'll hit it during the day too, mid afternoons and stuff. Because again, they're in that wide open country. They they can see everywhere. They've got not really a whole lot of fear or reason to not go get a drink if they're thirsty at three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I mean uh, that's something that I never thought about here. The deer around here, they rely on their nose so much, probably because they they can't see a long ways, mm-hmm. and they don't like to be able to see a long ways. But I bet you the deer right. out there probably do like to be able to see a long ways because that's, you know, they're so the way those draws run and stuff using using their nose is probably challenging the way the wind blows through there. They can use it a little bit, but here, I mean, if you're in a timber early season that you can see 200 yards in, I mean, you're you're in some open timber. You know yeah. what I mean? So out, out yeah. there, it looks like you see freaking thousand, twelve, fifteen hundred yards. You know what I mean? So. As far as your binoculars will go, yeah. you can see, you know. <laughs> yeah. so. so it's a whole different animal. But, yeah, that's something we don't – we're not hunting waters. And, like I said, during the rut, we're hunting downwind of bedding or pinch points. You know what I mean? That's pretty much our go-to. And then early season, we're just trying to um, – we were talking about this. I, I've never killed a deer on a food source, a buck. I've never killed a buck on a food source. Always in their transition area? Yeah, they're always in the timber yeah. or – Besides, well, that's because you always hunt the timber. Yeah, it's because I always hunt the timber. But, I guess I've never. Hunt, I don't hunt field edges. I just yeah, never I've, had very good luck. I'm only just ghost. Just ghost. And he wasn't yeah. even there to eat. He was, he was there scrapes. to scrape. Yeah. So yeah. I've never like like killed a deer in a food plot. A yeah. buck. I've killed does. Yeah. You know what I mean. But I've never killed a buck, mature deer, in a food plot right. or anything like that. You see them on TV all the time. Just oh yeah, they're just out there, just chilling, eating. I'm like, <laughs> what is going on? Deer eating yeah. the daylight? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with these deer? Yeah, yeah, they that, that the Oklahoma I mean the and the river bottom deer they act completely different than the than the deer in the flats, and that doesn't mean that they don't spend time in both. But the river bottom deer, their their horns they fight. They're busted up. I mean, broken all the heck by the time that rut's over. In the flat country, you're hard-pressed to find a deer that's not broken. I mean, that is broken at all. And I don't know if that's just because of the amount of does or they necessarily kind of come up to breed or they just run that flat country to where they don't really have a lot of competition. And then at river bottom, you kind of compress. And when I say river bottom, it's just dry dry ground with some cottonwoods and the tamaracks. But a little bit more, you know, condensed space. The deer might be closer together, less, less spaced out might be a reason why they do fight a little more down there yeah i wonder if i wonder if uh they're you know they're rubbing hard down there and they're breaking it when they're rubbing breaking points when they're rubbing because i'm assuming out there in the flat grounds there's not much to rub on me and home yeah. when we talked about that what's a mule deer <laughs> sh- what's a mule deer shed its velvet on sagebrush <laughs> that was about 40 yeah. episodes ago oh <laughs> Yeah, in that flat country, they'll rub on like if you have like a little tall yucca stalk. Yeah, uh, they'll rub on that. But how they really mark their territory is a lot like antelope. They'll go out there and make scrapes and then take a leak in it. Mm-hmm. That's how the whitetail do a lot around here. They rub and scrapes, but it's great. What are they? What are they making their scrapes out there on the flatland? Just pretty much wherever, or just wherever, just like wherever. antelope. You know, I mean they 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 figure that you know here's my my area. And whatever draw or where you know whatever they cut across the tops at, they just make scrapes and just keep going. We've got one tree, one tree on the whole whole ranch in that flat country, 
and it'll have probably eight or ten scrapes under it every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet they're like, "Oh, there's my tree. Got to get yeah. to it before the other buck does." <laughs> <laughs> that that day I shot my buck in that flat that flat country. Uh, I did walk up on a one horned buck over there that was scraping. But I've seen that buck for the last three years, and he's always got one horn. He breaks uh-huh. it off so fast, it's unreal. That's crazy. It's <laughs> trying to be aerodynamic, man. <laughs> I guess. It's so cool Can when I... we talk to someone out of state. Just realize, you know, it shows you how little we know about deer outside of the Midwest. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why you listen to a lot of people. They're like, oh, yeah, I could go to the East Coast or West Coast and kill a decent buck. I'd be so lost out there in Oklahoma Flats. I'd be like, all right. Um, I got my binoculars. I'm just going <laughs> to glass around. <laughs> I wouldn't even see a deer in a week probably, but. Oh, in that flat country, if you didn't see a deer in a week, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> it may be two miles away, but, um, you know, there's pretty good deer. I mean, and it's an, it's an interesting hunt. It's different, right? Cause there's not any trees and, you know, tree stands, not an option. It's all spot and stock, um, out there. And, you know, the more you learn the country, like anything and what the deer's habits are, the you'd like to take the higher percentage chance you got to get something killed but uh, doesn't always work out that great either yeah i can imagine i mean you would think that they historically do the same thing same time of year if the as long as the ground doesn't get changed a bunch but um i yeah. mean early season food source they'd be coming off some kind of hay field you think and then late season's got to be a cornfield somewhere so but. Yeah, and the and the winter wheat. So south of where our flat country is, for years it's always been winter wheat. So you just post up with a southwest wind, and just watch them pour off of that into the flats and the breaks, and just get ready to put a stalk on something. And I was really awesome this year when I go out there and I'm looking at it, and it just doesn't look like winter wheat anymore. And all of a sudden they changed it to cotton, so I had no food source. Oh, <laughs> you're like, man, what is that going on out there? Yeah. Winter wheat so, looks a little different this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's all that? It's not snowing over there, is it? No, it's not green. And Deer ain't going to be out there it. eating cotton. I know that. They might no, eat it when it's yeah. green, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the new thing. Cotton food plots. <laughs> right. <laughs> Early yeah. season cotton. You heard it first right here. <laughs> right. I wouldn't invest a lot of money in that, but, you know. <laughs> We don't give a lot yeah. of tips on here, but everyone is bad. <laughs> yeah. All, all you need is one cool kid to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all you need. Blow. Yeah. Oh. You get somebody that kills a 180-inch white tail out of cotton field, and then you might see a lot it's of all, cotton. cotton it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it's only good for the first three weeks. When it starts drying out, you're done. you got to capitalize yeah. quick. Oh. <laughs> You can knit a nice hoodie after or sweater. After. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Make a couple scarves. Oh, it's, it's a plus. It's just a plus, man. Kill a deer off it. Make a make a pillow. Whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on and talking a little Oklahoma whitetail. Um, like I said to all our listeners, check out his films. I know everybody's kind of stuck inside these days, and it's a great time to check out some content. Um, you're on Vimeo, right? Are you on YouTube also? Yeah, I've got a YouTube okay. channel, also the Territory Film. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was watching everything through Vimeo through your Facebook page, but uh. Yeah, check them out on YouTube, Territory Films. I enjoyed them. They're they're more my style, telling a story and uh, breaking it down, how you got it done. I think it's really cool. Something that um, you don't see a lot of people filming out in Oklahoma like that. And like you said, you got a, a buffalo hunt, mountain lion hunt, bear hunt. You got a lot of stuff on there um, also. And um, got some pretty sweet swag too. I think 
I think Scott would really like that mountain lion shirt that he's got since he just killed one. Yeah. It's pretty cool, but. Well, you ought to get that one in the hat that goes with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The hat's <laughs> real sick, yeah. So, like I said, man, we appreciate you coming on and teaching us a little bit about Oklahoma whitetail. I don't know if we'll ever get to use it, but uh, <laughs> we we learned something. That's the, that's the thing about the podcast, man, talking to new people and trying to learn a little bit. And uh, it's just fun to hear the stories and and realize how much how little you know about whitetail and in other places sure well, i appreciate you guys having me on it's been great talking with you man i really enjoyed this episode something different that we don't you know really talk about we try to get some people from not the midwest uh but this is this is way out there oklahoma that's something that we haven't had a lot on we had the giant from oklahoma mm-hmm. on but we didn't really talk a lot of tactics there we just talked the story and uh like i said check out this guy's film something different for the midwest guys to, to check out and this time of consuming so much youtube you know what i mean like i'm doing right now i'm sure you guys are too weather's starting to break now though so they're starting to be able to get outside um i'm sure the morellas are popping or close to popping where you're at turkeys are gobbling so get the kids out there take a morel hunting try to leave a legacy and white till legacy is out Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.